Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, we looked at Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, to see a woman who was given a reset in life. Her sins were forgiven, and the way she lives shows her gratitude for that forgiveness. We all need a reset when it comes to our sins, and we are all called to live differently when we experience this life-changing forgiveness. Follow along, and we hope you enjoy this message. Man, I love worshiping with you guys. It is so good to sing songs, and uh, I, I know that some of us, maybe you're a little shy about singing, or maybe you don't feel like you have a great voice, or maybe singing's not your thing. I just want to encourage you guys. I know we got a lot of new folks in here, especially sixth graders, but there's something about music that seems like it, it gets stuck in our minds, and what tends to get stuck in our minds ends up in some way shaping our hearts. And so you guys know this in some ways because you sing songs all the time that just pop into your head, right? And it's like, I don't even know where that came from. But I started singing and and remembering that song. And a lot of times that's what happens with worship songs uh, for us as believers as well. And uh, as those things uh, stick in our mind, they start to shape our heart. And it, it really becomes like, hey, these are things that we believe and we hold true. And when you do experience hard times, Uh, Or when you do feel like, especially some of the songs that we sang this morning, you find yourself stuck in your sin and you need that reminder of forgiveness. Sometimes the Lord brings scripture to mind and sometimes he might bring something like a song to mind. So really, really important if you if you are not singing, like I just want to kind of push you to to sing because it's one thing to to hear those songs. And I think they can get stuck in your mind and then infiltrate your heart that way. But I think there's something even more powerful when you're the one who is saying or singing those words right along with us, uh, that, that God just tends to do something with, with music. Um, he, he, I think he knows what he's doing. So uh, maybe just a little encouragement for some of you guys to sing as we sing in worship. We do it every week, not just for a performance, or uh, so you would, you would think that these musicians are really great, even though they are, um, but because we believe that God speaks through and uses music in a really, really powerful way. So just a little encouragement there. Uh, all right, here's what I want you to think about right now as we jump into uh, the message today. Today is going to be a kind of like a teaser for next week or a little like intro into uh, Epic for those of you going on Epic. But if you're not going on Epic, again, we are going to miss you. Uh, this this uh, message can stand on its own. So it's not like, hey, you if you are here this morning, you're going to really, really miss the, the end part of this. I'm not leaving you on a cliffhanger or anything. This message can, can stand on its own just as it is. But next weekend, the theme for Epic is reset, just kind of one word. And the idea of reset is like a fresh start, a new beginning for us as Christians, thinking about things like new uh, mercies, thinking about things like forgiveness, uh, all of those things and more you can include in the word reset. And so this morning, we're actually going to look at a picture, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, of a lady who seems to have experienced a reset in her life. And as you're doing that, here's, here's the uh, thing I want you to think about, and then I'm going to have you turn to your neighbor and tell them in just a minute. But wait for me, okay, because I'm going to tell you when you need to turn to your neighbor. But what, uh, how many of you guys live in a neighborhood or like an apartment complex or somewhere where you have friends in the same area that you live in? Anybody? That you, friends that you hang out with, friends that you see on a regular basis? Okay. So maybe not like super recent. Let, let's go elementary school, okay? With some of those friends, and maybe you were in a different home uh, or a different neighborhood or whatever uh, when you were in elementary school, but what was like your favorite thing to do when you were in elementary school with that group? 
group of friends. Think about it for like 10, 15 seconds. Like when you guys got together, here is one of the things that you were doing and maybe doing most often. Or when you did it, it was the thing you got most excited about. All right, now turn to your neighbor and share with them what that thing was. You can kind of share it with a couple of neighbors there. All right, make sure you let the other person talk now. Let them give their answer. Chapter 7. Luke, chapter 7, verse 36. Yes. Yeah, it might be things that you do now. All right, so somebody, somebody give me some answers. Where's things? And JB just said, like, what if it's the same things that I do now? That's great. I love it. I think I was doing a lot of those same things uh, that I did in elementary school with my friends. I was doing them in middle school. Maybe they just looked a little bit different. Uh, who's got one? Olivia, did you have something? Just running around the street at night. Just like chicken with your head cut off. Just running around the street. Okay, Tasha? Okay, there's probably like a lesson to be learned in there somewhere, like you can avoid the prickly bushes. She, she wanted to, okay, riding bikes down a hill together, uh, yeah, like a little, little biker gang in your neighborhood maybe, yep. Nice, That's, that sounds fun, JB? That is, uh, yeah, that is, that is mean. That's called bullying, JB. Uh, so, tons of sleepovers. Nice, I like it. Maybe one more. Anybody in this section got one? Going once, going twice. Yes, what you got? Poker. Hello. With, with like Doritos, right? With Doritos and Skittles as your uh, stuff. Grantham, you need to talk to your parents about that one, okay? That was, that was on Isaac. I did not tell him to say that. Okay, yes, Hirschberger. Manhunt. Nice. All right, great, great transition. We're ending there. Here was the thing that I like to do with uh, my friends when I was in elementary school and then into middle school. We continued to do this, and uh, it's a little game called hide and seek, okay? Now, now, I know it sounds very simple. This was not just confined, though, to one person's house or even one person's house and yard, but this was like in a neighborhood of I don't know, maybe like a couple hundred houses. It was the entire neighborhood, okay? Now listen, there were some rules and there were some boundaries. Like you couldn't just go into some rando's uh, like yard, right? Okay, that's not really a, a great thing. But here's what was happening when I was in elementary school and middle school is that a lot of the homes were still being built, Okay, so we're talking like going inside houses, going inside a crawl space, like you could go into the backyard of these homes because they're, they're still being built, like we're, we're fine, okay? Now, let me also say this, I like utmost safety, okay? Safety's important here, these things are being built, so there's like nails and sometimes there are tools everywhere. So I'm not necessarily encouraging you to do this, but it was really, really fun. And uh, one of my favorite things, okay, in hide and go seek, I know some of you, how many of you prefer to be the one who is seeking? Anybody prefer to be the one who's seeking? Okay, yeah, wow, like one hand. Okay, how many of you prefer to be hiding, right? 
Yes, this is this is one of the greatest parts of hide and go seek. Okay, and in this hide and go seek game, where we're playing like in our entire neighborhood, and many things are fair game. We would have games last for hours. Okay, we're talking like some people wouldn't get found, and we would just let them not be found, and like go to a friend's house and play video games. Okay, and eventually, <laughs> eventually they'd show up and they'd be like, "Are we still playing?" No, we stopped like two hours ago. Right. Uh, so one time when this kind of happened to me, I don't know that it was quite that long after the game had ended, uh, but I found like this perfect spot in a house that was being built and in the backyard, for some reason, there was like a big like hole in the earth, okay? We're talking like, I mean, it might have been almost half the length of this stage, like just this massive hole and a tree had fallen over the hole. So you better believe I got in the hole underneath the tree, okay? Things were probably crawling all around me. Me, right? Things are probably falling in my hair. It probably would be a terrible idea uh, right now, like as I'm looking back on it, but it was the ultimate hiding spot, okay? I remember people coming uh, seeking because the way we would do it is if you find somebody, now you are seeking with that person, okay? You're, you're seeking with the seeker. So we'd have a bunch of seekers at some point, and I'm talking like people would come and look for me, and they would not even want to go down in this gnarly hole uh, to look, and I would be able to like hide behind the, the tree and everything. I would, I would literally was there for like two or three hours uh, during this game of hide and go seek. It was amazing. That's one of the best parts of a, of a hide and go seek game. One of the, like maybe my next favorite part though, is when the whole game like starts fresh, right? Like everybody has been found or everybody has come out of their hiding places and we admit you are the best hider in the neighborhood. Uh, and we would start a new game. We would have a reset of hide and go seek. Because somebody would be counting when you, when you run around the whole neighborhood, somebody had to count to like a hundred or so, uh, so that everyone would just had time to spread out and go go crazy. But just the excitement of even if you're the seeker of like counting and oh man, I don't know where people are gonna be, or just being a hider and saying oh I gotta find a new fresh hiding spot. Just there was so much adrenaline in the reset of every hide and go seek game that we played when we were going around the neighborhood. How many of you have played hide and go seek in your neighborhood or in like around your your home? before nice. It's, it's glorious, isn't it? How many of you have gone into a neighbor's yard that you did not know? Okay. Yes. I see that hand. Please don't do it again. Stranger danger and all the rest. Okay. Your parents probably told you. Uh, so the reset and hide and go seek was really fun though. It's a clean slate. It's a new game. It's a new beginning. It's a fresh start. And there's a lot of places in life where a reset feels like a really good thing, right? Maybe some of you have experienced this in sports. You just had a terrible season, the season before, right? And you still love the sport, but it was not very fun being on that team for whatever reason or being uh, a part of what was going on when you guys were losing those games. You get excited, though, about a reset, like, hey, new team, fresh start, new beginning, fresh jerseys, right? There's something about the beginning of a new season. Maybe some of you are getting excited about your, your college football team's new season, right? It's a reset of the college football season right now. Uh, maybe for you, the, the fresh start was in school, right? Like, how many of you guys went, are going to a new school this year that you did not go to before? New school or new co-op? All of you sixth graders should be raising your hand, right? But you're, you're stepping into a new environment. And while you might miss some of the old stuff, like your old friends and your old teachers and that kind of thing, and your old routine, there's like an excitement with this new fresh start, with this reset of sorts when it comes to your, your school year. There's all kinds of places in life where a reset feels like a really, really good thing. All right, pay attention. I know you guys are probably talking about your, your new school year, right? Isaac, you with me? You with me? Uh, 
a reset is a really good thing in a lot of places. And there's one place where I think maybe a reset in our lives is the most important. And I also think, though, as much as it's the most important area where we need a reset in our lives, it might also be the hardest area of our life to accept or live into the reset. Like with a game of hide-and-go-seek, like it just kind of happens and like, okay, we're there. You have to kind of accept it. With a new school year, it comes whether you want it to or not. With many resets in life, we can't, there's not much we can do to push back on a lot of it. But with this one in particular, I think a lot of us really, really struggle with it. And it's, it's a reset of sin in our life. And here's what I mean. I don't mean like, oh, like, okay, everything's all good. Like you never actually did that sin. But, but I mean forgiveness. Accepting forgiveness for our sin is often really, really hard. Some of us struggle, and maybe even this morning you brought in some guilt and some shame around your own sin. Maybe it's something that you said that you wish that you could take back. Or it's something that you did that nobody knows about and you hope that nobody ever finds out about. And you're carrying this, this burden. Maybe it's something that for years you've been struggling with and that might be some of the hardest. Because here's the deal with our sin and, and accepting forgiveness is a lot of times our sin makes us feel stuck. And there's a real enemy who wants us to believe that we are stuck in our sin. And I know Jesus died for it on the cross, but I still seem to struggle with it every day, and there doesn't seem to be a way out, is typically how we we think. And so while we know we've got a clean slate, while we know we've got a fresh start, in fact, the scripture talks about it as we are new creations, or that every day God's mercies are new with each morning. We know some of those scriptures, and you've heard it before if you've been in church for any length of time. We know that we've been forgiven, but sometimes it's really, really hard to live into that. It's a lot easier to keep bearing the guilt and the shame, to in some ways keep wearing our sin as our identity. We start to say, maybe this is just who I'm going to be. This is something I'm going to struggle with forever. And that's all that there ever is. But Jesus didn't die on the cross so that for the rest of your life you would be defined by your sin. No, he died so that you would be defined by him, that you would find your identity in him, and that your life would slowly but surely start to look different, that you would experience a real reset, a real fresh start, clean slate, new beginning, and not just once, but that every time you sin, every time you feel stuck, you could come to him being reminded that you are forgiven, being reminded that you are his, being reminded of so many things that we actually sang about this morning so that each time might be a reset of sorts, a fresh start, a new beginning, that he might breathe new life into you. This story or this picture from Luke chapter 11 is actually a story of a lady who experienced a reset. She is someone who experienced great forgiveness in her life, and we're going to see that this morning. So Luke chapter 7, verse 36, we're going to read verses 36 through 50. We're going to talk about it a little bit, talk about the reset that we see in this woman's life, and, uh, and then we'll be done this morning. So here we go. Verse 36, this is uh, Jesus. Again, it's kind of towards the middle beginning of his, uh, his public ministry. And here he is at a party, something that we actually see Jesus do quite a bit. He was a party animal of sorts, all right? So he shows up, uh, and he's invited to this party. Verse 36 says, one of the Pharisees, who who were the Pharisees? Anybody want to shout out a definition for me? 
correctors. Okay, nice. That, that could be a way to think about them. They were like some of the religious leaders of the day, right? So, and they often did correct people. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. So the Pharisee asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus, he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, right? So the Pharisee's like, hey, we're having dinner. We're having a party. Do you want to come? And Jesus says, yeah, sure, I'll come to this party, right? I like food. Uh, I like to hang out. I like the people. And so I'm going to go to this party. Verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, all right? Now, let's kind of stop here and talk about this woman for uh, just a minute. How does the author describe this woman? A woman of the city who was a sinner. Here's what we need to know about this lady, all right? There's other other, uh, gospels that actually talk about this lady. She, it says right here, was a sinner, And that was actually a way that they kind of defined groups of people in this time. Like, hey, those are the sinners, meaning those are the outcasts. Those are the people who really aren't accepted, uh, especially around the religious leaders of the day. But those are also people that, hey, your average person, you don't really want to associate with these people. Because they've got a lot of stuff going on. A lot of messed up stuff, a lot of messy stuff. There's a lot of places where they fall short. There's a reason that we've removed them or kind of kicked them out of regular society. There's a reason why they're not welcome. And yet, this lady who, yeah, she could have been carrying a whole lot, was identified as a woman of the city, which is not good. It means she had gotten around. It means she had been involved in a lot of sin in a lot of different places. This woman who is a sinner, she shows up at this party and she's got this alabaster flask of ointment. Here's what you need to know about this is it is a very expensive bottle of ointment or kind of like a perfume, all right? So expensive. Here's how how expensive it was. This would have been another, one of the other gospels uh, in, in the scriptures says that this was a 300 denarii bottle of ointment or bottle of perfume, all right? How much is 300 denarii? One denarii is a day's wage, all right? So we're talking like this was almost a year's worth of money, okay, for this bottle of women. In today's language, if this is not enough for you, in today's language, the average income, uh, like in Greenville, is around $50,000, okay? So let's just say on average, this is like a $50,000 bottle jar of ointment. That's pretty expensive. There's a lot of questions on how this lady got that. A lot of people have some different thoughts, but somehow she's rolling in with this really expensive bottle of ointment, jar of ointment, and if you know the rest of the story, she's about to do something that's kind of crazy with it, right? So she rolls up into this party. You might be asking, like, how can she just get into this party, okay? Parties at at this time, especially ones that were uh, held by these religious leaders, this would have been something that was like out, kind of outside, kind of on their like patio area. And so the public wasn't necessarily like welcome into this, but they could have uh, very much as they're walking by, they see what's happening. They, it was kind of like, you know, if celebrities held a party and they like really want you to know who's at this party, okay? That's kind of how these religious le- leaders treated these, these dinner parties. And so they're like outside, chilling, reclining at the table, and the public could walk by and see who was there. And apparently this lady walks by, sees that Jesus is there. And while it wasn't like an absolute no-no for her to walk in, because of who she was, it would have been 
very like, uh, is this is this okay? Right? Can we uh, can we call security? Right? Like, but but she comes in and she sees Jesus. She brings this alabaster flask, this fifty thousand dollar flask of ointment. In verse 38, it says, and standing behind him, standing behind Jesus, remember, he's kind of like laying down, so you're like, how is she doing this? Is she, what's she doing right here? Uh, but he's kind of laying down, reclining at the table, standing behind him at his feet, weeping, so she's crying. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Some of you, you right? Uh, oh, right. <laughs> what? what that, that got real weird. Okay, if the fifty thousand bottle of ointment perfume stuff wasn't weird enough, okay, because who would spend that kind of money on something like that? But uh, here comes this lady. She's wiping Jesus's feet, wet them with her tears, wiping them with her hair, his feet. Right. And some of you, th- some of you think feet are nasty right now, right? But if you've heard somebody talk, I don't know if Melanie talked to you, talked to you guys about this in FG Kids, but we're talking about like dusty, nasty feet, potentially slipped in a little camel poop, right? Like potentially some donkey dew, right? You know what I'm saying? Like there could have been some, some poo particles on these feet of Jesus, okay? As he's walking through just normal life, coming into the city, invited by the Pharisee. Maybe he was stepping in poop while he was talking to the Pharisee. I don't know. But their, their feet were far nastier than even feet today, and feet today are disgusting. Can we just get that out there? Okay, feet today are nasty, just, that's all we need to say about that, right? And here she is wiping, cleaning his feet with her hair and her tears and pouring $50,000 bills on his feet, right? That's what I see here. Like, this feels like a waste, right? That's a very expensive jar of ointment. It feels like a waste. Maybe you're thinking that too. There actually were other onlookers, onlookers who were saying the same thing, right? Why is this woman doing this? This seems insane. It seems wild. In some ways, it would be like if somebody came in here right now and started doing that to one of your feet, okay? We'd have some questions. We'd have some concerns. We'd have some prayer requests. I'd have a lot of unspokens at that point. But here she is, verse 39, here's what one of the onlookers, in fact, the guy who invited Jesus to the house, here's what he's thinking. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, right, so he's kind of talking to himself, maybe kind of out loud, but probably in his mind, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner, Not only is she doing this weird thing, remember, but she's a sinner. She's an outcast. She really shouldn't be showing herself at this party, and she definitely shouldn't be, like, degrading herself like this. One more thing to add is that, hey, she's wiping his hair with her, or wiping wiping his hair with her feet. That's even weirder. She's wiping his feet with her hair. One of the things culturally that was not accepted was for a woman to let down her hair. It was like she was, I know, it's kind of different, right? But it was like she was revealing her beauty to everyone around, and her beauty was only really meant to be revealed to her spouse, to her husband. And yet here she is revealing it, washing his feet. And this Pharisee says, Jesus must not be a prophet. He must not really be a good teacher. He must not really be who people say he is or who he seems to think he is, because if he was, 
he would not be allowing this woman to do what she's doing right now. In fact, maybe he'd be the one to remove her from this party. Remember, that's what the Pharisee says to himself. But Jesus is God in the flesh, God with a bod, right? And verse 40 says, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon didn't say this. This Pharisee didn't say this to Jesus. But Jesus seems to know what he's thinking somehow. Jesus uh, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Oh, okay, well, here goes Simon walking into this trap. He answered, say it, teacher. Probably not a great move, Simon. Jesus says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Remember how much is one denarii? What is that? One day's wage, right? $300 or 300 denarii bottle of ointment. Jesus says, hey, take it up a notch. 500 denarii. One person is in debt to a lender, to a money lender. 500 denarii, which is basically like a year and a half, right? A year and a half of wages. We can say $75,000. Another person is in debt, 50 denarii, which is like two months, okay? Whatever that comes out to, a few thousand dollars, right? So $75,000, they owe a debt. A few thousand dollars, let's just say for the sake of it, let's say like $10,000, they owe a debt, okay? That's what he's presenting. Verse 42 says, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And I want you to, guys to like love here doesn't mean like which of them is he going to just go and give a big hug and a kiss to, but really think about which, which of these people is going to be more thankful towards the one who's forgiven the debt? The one who's forgiven 10,000 or the one who's forgiven 75,000? What do you guys think? It's not a trick question, right? Maybe the person who owed more. Jesus asked, actually asked that question to Simon. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. It was a courtesy for something to be offered for Jesus to have his feet clean. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She's gone to one of the most extreme lengths to ensure that my feet would be clean. Verse 45, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You might be saying, mm, Simon, don't need to kiss Jesus, right? Like, but no, during this time, like a kiss was a sign of, of greeting, right? It was uh, in some ways like a, a respectful greeting, or if you saw someone as an equal, or you knew them as a friend, or e even in, in some instances, if, if they were kind of above you, like a, a higher status than you, you would have kind of greeted them with a kiss, but Simon didn't do any of that. Barely any greeting for Jesus when he came into his house. But this woman has not stopped kissing Jesus's, not his cheek, right? Not like, hey, welcome, but his feet. Verse 46, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Another kind of... Uh, kind of a symbol of respect, but also a way of like welcoming somebody, kind of cleansing them, kind of refreshing them when they would come into somebody's house. Uh, no anointing of the oil, but she has not stopped anointing my feet with this really, really, really expensive oil. 
Therefore, verse 47, I tell you, her sins, which are many, doesn't Simon seem to know that? They are forgiven. For she has loved much, but he is, who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him, they began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Remember, it's only for God to forgive sins. It wasn't for the Pharisees to go passing out forgiveness. It wasn't for uh, the common person to go passing out forgiveness. It was only for God to give forgiveness for sins. And Jesus here is saying, hey, woman, your sins are forgiven. And he said, verse 50, last verse we're reading this morning, to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Where's the reset in this story? Where's the fresh start in this story? Where's the forgiveness in this story? You guys want to answer it? Victor, I saw your hand first. What's that? When Jesus forgives her. And, and how do we know that she has experienced forgiveness? How do we know that she has experienced a great debt that has been taken away, that has been wiped clean, that has been, in a sense, reset? How do we know? Because of how she treats Jesus, the one who has forgiven her. She comes in, and to her, it doesn't matter how Simon or how anybody else who's sitting at the table, how any of the other religious leaders have treated Jesus. She can't help but in thankfulness and love and gratitude pour out this expensive ointment and use her hair and let it down in a place publicly where she shouldn't be and, and kiss his feet and wipe it with her hair, cleanse him, weeping, tears of joy, someone who has been forgiven much. She returns that forgiveness with much love. That's a life that's been reset. And what does Jesus say? How does he leave her? Hey, go and send some more. No, no, no. Hey, uh, keep, keep wiping my feet. Just keep doing that. That'd be really nice, right? Nobody goes and sends her out, says, go in peace. Go and live like your life has been reset. Go and live like someone who has been forgiven. Go and live in my peace. Go and live a changed life because your life has been changed. Your life has been transformed by this forgiveness. What is it in your life? Maybe it was something that, came up as we're reading the story. Maybe it's something that we came up, that came up earlier as we were talking about things that you're bringing in. But where is it in your life in relation, when it, when it comes to your sin, where you need a reset? Is there something that you've been holding on to that you've just felt like this is going to define me forever? Is there something that you feel like you're stuck in and trapped in that you never feel like, you, you feel like you're never gonna get a release from? Is there something that you've been holding heavy on your heart that nobody else knows about and you are praying mostly that nobody else finds out about it? Where is it that you need a reset? I know that this is one of the hardest places to accept the forgiveness, to accept the clean slate, to accept the reset, but it is also the most important place in our life where we need God's forgiveness. We need the slate wiped clean. So that, like Jesus encourages this woman, we may walk in peace 
and live a changed life. That's just part of what it means to have our lives reset when it comes to our sin. Where is it in your life? And maybe here's another way to think about it. Maybe you're not so much struggling with your own sin, but maybe you're more like the Pharisee in this story and the other people who were at the table at this party who when they looked at that woman, they were only defining her by she's a sinner. She's messed up. Jesus, I could give you a whole list of what she's done if you really don't know what she's done. And they were not willing to accept that maybe there's a new life offered for this woman. Maybe there's a reset that can be offered for her. They just defined her by her sin. Are there people in your life that you do that to? That when you see them, you can't help think about the things that they've said or the things that they've done, or maybe that you're not sure that they did, but you heard that they did, and now that's how they're defined in your life. When Jesus looks at those people, he seems to to see potential and, and an opportunity for hope. He seems to see a place where forgiveness can be offered. What might happen if we started seeing people in the same light, not defining them by their sin, not defining ourselves by our sin, but believing that God, even in the most dire of circumstances, the most messy of situations, that his forgiveness can bring light into darkness. How might that change how we live? God is all about the reset in your life and the lives of other people. How does it change your perspective if you think about that this week? Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much that you do not leave us in our sin, in our shame, and our guilt, but you offer forgiveness for those things. Sometimes it can feel like we have the weight of the world on our shoulders, and we don't know where to turn, we don't know what to do, but your forgiveness is offered even to this woman who was known, it seems like, citywide as a sinner. Your forgiveness was offered to her, and it changed her in a radical way. Father, I pray that we would experience your forgiveness in a similar way in our lives. Whatever comes to mind when we think of places that we need a reset, God, would you remind us, reveal to us that your forgiveness is offered, a clean slate is offered, your mercies are new every day, we can go to you for forgiveness time and again, and ultimately, that forgiveness was offered once and for all at the cross. We would trust in you. We would lean on you, and would we In a similar way to this woman was implored by Jesus, would we go in peace today, live changed, transformed, reset? We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.